opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of Life, its elected officials, or its staff. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Art and Science of Riding an Elephant with Peter Alchul. This uh, workshop is put on by the Whole Foundation and Learning Center. And just a few reminders for those in our Zoom audience to keep yourself muted. We will have time for questions and answers and have raised hands and we'll have Teresa Christian, our host, um, let us know how to do that at the time. So just for people to know, the whole Foundation and Learning Center is celebrating their 60th year. They have a 23-acre park just outside of Portland, Oregon in a little community called Sandy. And they actually have a lot of in-person events in addition to these Zoom sessions, and they do some peer-to-peer support. And at the end of this session, I will give information for people to get a hold of Whole Foundation to get on their email list. Not all of our workshops are done on the ACB community calls, so it's a great way to you know, just have more variety in your life. So... Right now, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Peter Alchul to let us know how to ride an elephant. <laughs> welcome, Peter. Thank you, Carrie, and welcome to everybody who's joining us. I hope uh, you find this uh, interesting and your elephant uh, finds this interesting as well. So what, in this case, we're we talking about when it comes to an elephant. Well, there is a uh, book by Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T called The Righteous Mind, which was published in 2012. And the the book is well worth reading for lots of reasons. But one of the things he talks about at the beginning of the book, uh, he compares intuitions, which which are sort of feelings, as elephants. And that we uh, can all become better elephant riders by how we control our feelings or our elephants through our thoughts. And that is the premise of my uh, most recent book, which is called Riding Elephants, Creating Common Ground, uh, Where Contention Rules. Uh, And that book is available uh, through DLD Publications. And we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, It's also available on Bookshare. And it is being recorded, as I understand it, through BARD, through the Minneapolis uh, Library for the Blind. And I don't know when that will come out, but it is in the process of being uh, worked on. So uh, let's let's talk a little more about this elephant concept. This is this concept is is uh, supported by lots of things. It's sort of neuropsychology talks a lot about this and other things. And the way it works in the brain often now brain of course is connected, but the when you're involved in a um, uh, a situation you don't quite know what to do with the first part of the brain that's going to be impacted is the emotional part of your brain. And, and you're going to get involved with what's called type one thinking, which is really type one feeling. You're going to feel something and, and maybe, and, and based on your feeling alone, you're going to take action. And that usually doesn't work very well. There are exceptions to everything, of course, but that usually doesn't work very well. And so the more you can, uh, control those feelings through your thoughts. Um, you, you're likely to be in, in, in a better place to handle situations in which you find yourself. 
And this became really interesting to me because of the work I've done. So I've spent a good chunk of time in my life working with people of differing values and differing perspectives and different goals and just different people to find that common ground. And the, the book, uh, Writing Elephants, talks a lot about that. Uh, and how do you do that? Well, there are a number of ways that you do that. And there are a number of concepts that are talked about in the prologue of the book that are fleshed out through the balance of the book. And I'm going to talk about some of those, um, some of those concepts. And the first um, sounds pretty basic based on what I've already said, that there is a thoughts channel and a feelings channel. And in order for conversations to be effective, you have to be sure you're talking on the same channel. And that, that sounds pretty straightforward, but it often is not. And for, for to talk about that a little more, I would imagine you to think about a situation when you're talking with somebody, might be a spouse, it might be a boss, it might be something else, and you're really trying to have a conversation and the conversation is going really badly. I'm sure you can all think of examples like that. Often the cause of such a conversation is that one person is talking on the thoughts channel and the other is talking on the feelings channel. And the way this often happens, to be stereotypical for a moment, usually us males are thinkers and we don't like feelings. So we, we are often talking about stuff on the thoughts channel. And so what often happens is that we, uh, we, we hear a conversation from somebody about a difficult situation they're having. And our immediate reaction is to go into problem solving mode. Oh, okay. Here's how you might solve that problem. But that's often not what the other person wants to hear. They want to be, they want to be, they want their feelings to be connected with or their elephants to be connected with before they can even think about problem solving. And so often we uh, people um, who are thinking on the thoughts channel for, you know, don't do that. And so the conversation gets really weird, really fast. This became really clear to me when I was running a, a helping run um, a diversity workshops with a really talented social psychologist named Dr. Kenneth Soule. And we run into these conversations and uh, the whole room would get frazzled. 12 people, 12 really intelligent people of diverse backgrounds trying to resolve, trying to get something addressed. And the conversation would get more and more frazzled. And Kenneth would say, okay, uh, what's going on here? And people would say, well, we're, we're talking past each other. We're not listening. We're not, you know, fill in the blank. And um, so uh, he would say, well, why is that happening? And of course, we'd all mumble. And then he would talk about this concept of the, of the thought channel and the feelings channel. So there are things to be said about this. The first thing is you don't have to be spend equal time on the thoughts and feelings channel. You know, you might spend 15 seconds on the feeling, feelings channel and the rest of the time in the thought channel. Or you might spend a bunch of time in the feelings channel because you need to sort of get those feelings out in the open so you can address them more effectively. So it's not a question of spending equal time. It's a question of making sure that you're communicating on both channels. And we, you know, if there are questions and comments, I'm happy to take them a little bit down the road. But I just want sort of people to understand that concept that there really is such a thing as a thoughts channel and a feelings channel and a feelings channel. And if we can figure out ways of, of communicating on both, we will be much more effective advocates, for example. So for example, uh, 
I know the ACB uh, legislative seminar is coming up reasonably soon. And part of what our job is as advocates is to connect very quickly on both channels. If all we're doing is talking on the thought channel, we will fail. Um, you have to connect to that feelings channel as well. And the way you do that is a number of ways. Uh, and one of them is to tell good stories. A, a good story um, connects with both channels pretty well. Uh, and so I am a big fan of telling good stories. Um, any good story does this. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Harry Potter series. And, you know, she is a, uh, J.K. Rowling is a master of, of, you know, communicating really wonderful stories that make you both think and feel in reverse order. Uh, so that's the first concept I want to sort of, sort of get on the table. This idea of there is a thoughts channel, there is a feelings channel, and in order for a good conversation to take place, you got to try to make sure that both channels are being used effectively uh, and activated effectively. Um, so if there are questions about that, I'll take those. Uh, not quite yet, because I want to throw another uh, concept into the stew. And that is the idea of trash talk versus trust talk. Now, all of us know what, tr what trash talk is. But it's sometimes not as obvious. But we, 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 we sort of know what trash talk is. It's common in sports events, uh, you know, when athletes trash talk each other. We sports fans do it quite regularly to of fans of other teams. Uh, and trash talk is essentially um, making us feel better by demeaning other people. All right. That's sort of what trash talk is at when, it, when you come down to it. And sometimes trash talk can be helpful, but... Usually it's not, um, and we, we try our best not to do it. But sometimes trash talk can, can really um, uh, bind people together against the other person. Um, and so let me, let me give you an example of how this plays itself out. Well, actually, before I do that, let me talk about trust talk. So trust talk is, is that kind of talk that, uh, that tries to build trust between people. It's lowering those barriers a little bit or maybe a lot to learn, to talk about your thoughts and dreams and ideas and encouraging a space for the other person to do the same. And by doing that, you are increasing trust. And of course, trust is also based on behaviors, you know, by keeping commitments, keeping commitments and other such, such matters. But trust talk is really reducing, lowering those batters, uh, barriers a little bit or maybe a lot so that we can have a conversation to build that trust. So to give you an example of how this plays itself out in the work I did, uh, for example, between pro-life and pro-choice activists to, have, to begin those conversations about how can we find common ground on abortion, which is a very contentious issue, or how can we find common ground to make an organization better, which I spent a lot of time doing as well. And so the first thing that I would do is let's talk about abortion for a second. I find a pro-life person and a pro-choice person who are activists, who are strong opinions on whatever their view on abortion was. And I'd say to them, okay, uh, what I'd like you to do is to get together uh, and get to, know each other, a, a, bleh, get to know each other a little bit. Uh, don't talk about abortion. Get together for a coffee or a meal and just get to know each other. Find out who you are. Find out, uh, you know, um, uh, you know your, your life history. Find out what, uh, what other interests interest you. Find out whatever you can and just build a relationship. 
And from that relationship, we can then move on to the next step. So people would forge that relationship. And then they call and say, we had a fabulous conversation. We thought we talked for 15 minutes. We talked for 45 minutes and we're ready to move on to the next step. And I would say, okay, uh, your next step is to find three or four people um, who you trust to have these kinds of conversations on your side. And let's get together for a meal um, and we'll sort of have another conversation. And so um, the, what I remember most clearly about this is um, one of the folks, a husband uh, ran a law office. And so they catered a meal for us all and it was snowing. It was like January in New York city. And I was walking, I had to walk across central park uh, around central park and it was snowing and we were all cold. It was all snowy and food was fabulous. People got together. They sort of talked about, you know, what, uh, you know, how they thought about abortion in a very informal, they shared stories. And, they, and so we had that conversation. They said, okay, uh, do you want to continue? And they said, yes. And then that, that was only then that we began to have the, the, once those relationships were established, that we could have a conversation about finding that common ground on abortion. And we'll talk a little more later about sort of things to think about when you're trying to find common ground. But I want to make sure we sort of um, understand the concepts and, re- and sort of react to those concepts of, of, um, uh, of this idea of, of feelings and thought channels and this idea of, of um, uh, trust talk versus trash talk. And getting back to the trust versus trash talk for a second, I want to share an example of how the line can be pretty thin. Sometimes it's sort of hard to tell. Um, so this has to do with um, uh, I pl- I'm a drummer for a praise band. And um, I uh, was um, coming from the uh, pew to the uh, 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 stage to, you know, to play our next song. And while this was going on, the pastor was preaching, I was praying, you know, there was the, the post sermon prayer. And so I sat down on a, what, what we call in the, in the drummer and the field, a drum stool or a drum throne. And, for those who don't know, drum stools and drum thrones uh, revolve. You, you can spin around on these things. So you can sort of sit down and turn it a little bit uh, so you're facing the way you want to face. Well, what I didn't anticipate, so you have, to, you have to sort of get the idea. The pastor's praying away, and so I turn the stool, and it makes this huge groaning sound. It squeaks. It totally destroys the atmosphere uh, the pastor is totally, totally distracted and said, excuse me. And I said, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, it was very embarrassing. So on, on my way home, the bass player of the band said, um, Peter, you need to lose a little bit of weight. You know, you're, you have a big butt, you, you know, and he was clearly being, um, he was trying to be funny. I knew the guy well enough to know that he was really trying to be funny, but I was so embarrassed. My elephant was so embarrassed that I wasn't quite able to handle that joke in, in a way that I would have been able to handle it, say, two weeks later. It was just one of those moments that he really was trying to be supportive and doing a bit of gentle trash talk, um, but it didn't quite come across the way he meant it to. Uh, and sometimes these things happen. You know, it's, it's sometimes not clear which is which, but often we know. We know what trash talk is. We know what trust talk is. And... Um, you know, we have a good deal of, uh, in, in our politics, especially of trash talk masquerading as trust talk. And it, it, it is incredibly destructive. Uh, 
uh, uh, and we should do our best if we really want to communicate across those barriers to try to avoid doing things like that. Um, and so I'm going to stop at this point. I've said a lot in a, in a, in a very brief period of time. And I'd like to see how the listeners' elephants are doing. So I'm going to turn the floor over to um, the uh, our moderator who's going to talk about raising hands and muting and all that good stuff and see if there are any questions or comments. Yeah. Tracy, you want to go ahead and go through the spiel? Teresa. Teresa is muted. Uh, Can you hear me now? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, fighting with my computer. On, off, on, off. Okay. <laughs> my goodness. Okay. So. Your computer's elephant was being stubborn. Yes, right? it was yeah. being very stubborn. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not cooperating. Yes. Okay. So, um, mute and unmute. If you're on a PC, Alt-A to raise and lower your hand. It's Alt-White. If you're on a Mac, <clears throat> mute and unmute is Command-Shift-A. To raise your hand is Option-Y. If you're on the app, lower left-hand corner is the mute and unmute button. Lower right-hand corner is the more button, and under that is where raise and lower your hand is. If you're on a touchtone phone, star six to mute and unmute. If you are uh, wanna raise and lower your hand, it's star nine. And we don't have any hands yet. Okay. So I would encourage people. Um, I, it helps me to, to know what people are thinking and what your elephant's feeling uh, about what I've said so far. So I'm going to give it a couple of, of seconds to see if anybody wants to react. If not, I will continue my presentation in a different direction. So if anybody wants to react with a raised hand. We uh, have one, Leonor. Leonor. Leonor? Having a hard time unmuting, I think. Uh, that's Sorry. Hard. Okay. There you are. Now I'm unmuted. Sorry. All right. It's okay. hard. Uh, this is not about feelings. This is about getting the book. Um, and Peter, you, you mentioned us, DLD Books. But we are not really the publishers. We're the editors and the book producers. So we're not. it's not DLD Publications. It's DLD Books. Uh, editing and self-publishing services, but uh, much easier than going to our website to find our clients' books. Because if you go to our website, dldbooks.com, you'll find a great huge list of all of our 75 or so clients and their books. Uh, it's really much faster for somebody to just go and find a person's books on Amazon because the book is there in paperback and, and ebook format. And all you'd have to do is go to Amazon and type in, because I just tried it, <laughs> go to Amazon, type in Peter Altschul, and you'll, his books will come right up. And Writing Elephants is right there at the top. And um, just so you'll know the prices, um, it's $3.99 for the Kindle, the ebook, and the um, original price for the print book for the paperback was $14.50. And right now they have it reduced to eleven forty-five on Amazon, so that's certainly just the most efficient way to look for any of our clients' books. So, th th thank you, Leonore. And I just want to stress something you just said because I had an experience from a friend of mine who got in touch mm -hmm. with me who said, 
it's much easier to find your book by name rather than by title. For some reason, it's mm-hmm. my, my, my name comes up, but not the title of the book on Amazon. So uh, for those who want to do the Amazon approach, my first name is Peter. That's the easy, the easy part. Altschul is a bit of a, of a, a tongue twister. So I'm going to spell it. Uh, it's A-L-T as in Tom, S-C-H-U-L, uh, Altschul. If you want to reach, reach me, uh, you can do so by email. And my email address is much easier than Altschul. It's creatingcommonground at outlook.com. But I do encourage you to buy the book on Amazon. It's also available uh, right now, as I said, for those who want to read it, uh, it uh, on Bookshare. Uh, so you can, you can do that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so thank you, Leonore. And you're right. Sure. Uh, and yeah, I just want to add that the reason that it is easier to find it by typing in your name than the title is because there are a whole bunch of books there on Amazon about riding elephants, but that's literally riding elephants <laughs> and, <laughs> in, in places that you can go to do that as a tourist. So if you type in riding elephants, you'll, you'll get a big bunch of stuff. But the subtitle, the subtitle would help. That's uh, creating common ground where contention rules. But yeah, just typing in Peter's name is is definitely better. So yeah. Anyway, so, so thank you, Leonor. Yeah, no. Sure, sure. Um, but if you want to go to DLD's uh, DLDbooks.com website mm-hmm. and type in my name or type in the title and, and the search bar, you'll you'll get to my website. And there's lots of stuff on my website, including um, music I've written and the information about my other books. So if you want to do that, you can do that as well. But uh, if you want to actually get the book, uh, Leonor is absolutely correct. Get it going to Amazon is much faster and much less painful for your elephant. So, uh, <laughs> so th- th- thank, thank you, Leonor. Sure, Peter. No one else yet. Okay. So I'm going to uh, uh, tell my elephant to, to chill a little bit and continue to talk about this idea of creating common ground. So the first uh, article, let me say a few words about the book. So the book contains a series of essays, um, which are really blog posts I've written over the past few years. And the unusual thing about this book is that each essay, almost every essay is under 750 words. So it's the kind of book that you can get, you can read, you know, an essay or two, put it aside, pick it up again, uh, read another two or three essays, put it aside. It's really designed, uh, if you read it cover to cover, it's great. But the book is, is, um, is, this, is written as a, uh, there's a prologue, which has the basic concepts, as I mentioned earlier. And then it talks about how these various concepts um, flow through uh, various uh, parts of our life, whether it be in personal relationships or the workplace, uh, or uh, uh, in my case, uh, religion faith communities, um, politics, um, what I call rhetorical rabbit holes, those things that we, holes we can fall down if we're not careful and how we might get out of those holes. And the last section deals with, uh, we're, t- was written during the, f- the first six months of COVID. And so it really talks about um, what I observed about how the COVID, COVID was going. Actually, it's the first year of COVID, now that I think about it, because it ends right after the inauguration of President Biden. The, the last article uh, is called essentially POTUS for an hour and gives my 
what I would do, what I, my inaugural speech if I were president, which is, of course, very grandiose, but it seemed like a good way to end the book. Um, so anyway, um, so, uh, so we have the concept of channels, the thought channel and the feelings channel. And Teresa, um, if people raise their hands in the middle of this, let me know, and I will, I will uh, stop my stream of consciousness and, and take any questions um, on the fly, if you will. So, will do. Uh, so that would be great. So um, I want to talk about another concept that's really important uh, that I write about in the um, – um, oh, and I, and I should – back to trust and trash talk. I, I throw uh, – um, some songs in, in the um, uh, YouTube links to songs. And one of the songs I, I love is a, is, a, is a Taylor Swift song, which does a great job of trashing trash talk. Um, so um, uh, it's, it's one of those uh, really catchy songs. Taylor Swift is either a lover or a hater. I'm a, I like her. Uh, um, you know, she can get a bit out of control sometimes, but I think she's a really talented songwriter and a, and a, and a talented singer. Anyway, um, I digress. Another concept that is important is this idea of rubber bands. So when I was growing up, I loved sort of stretching rubber bands and making funny noises with them. And, you know, I'm a weird guy. What can I say? And um, rubber bands, if you, if, you, if, if you don't do anything with them at all, they're totally useless, right? If you just leave a rubber band by itself, you know, just lie there and it doesn't, it's, you, can't, you can't use it. But if you stretch it too much, it snaps. And if it snaps, which has happened to me many times, you, you get a stinging feeling from your in your hand necessarily. And then it becomes useless forever, right? You can't fix a rubber band once it's once it's once it's uh, snapped. Well, this also works with groups. Uh, every group has a has a barrier that distinguishes who's in the group. And who's out of the group? Sort of the inclusion versus exclusion idea. So rubber bands, uh, but 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 here's the trick: every group is constantly adjusting the 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 boundary between who's in and who's out based on the group structure, based on what information the group needs, based on what's going on with the group, and so they're constantly stretching and releasing their rubber bands to do that. Of, and so, of course, if the rubber band is too loose, then the group can't get any information that goes into the group. The, 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 the boundary is too tight and nothing, nothing can happen with the group. But if you stretch the group too tight where more information can get in the group, and if you stretch it too much, the, the rubber band breaks, the, and then the group becomes not – it's no longer a group. There's just too much too – much outside stuff coming in the group. And so therefore, uh, you know, the group becomes an amorphous blob, as I say in my book. So every group is trying to figure out from moment to moment, it's very healthy um, behavior. Okay. At this very moment in time, and it's done subconsciously, it's sort of done with, with sort of group process. Okay. What, what's important for the group now? Do we need to stretch our band? Do we need to stretch our boundaries or do we need to contract them? And, a really good facilitator, good facilitators are bridges between the group and the outside world and can help with that rubber band uh, uh, expanding or contracting. And there's no right or wrong answer at any given moment. The groups may have to expand 
we may need to get more people involved on a on an advocacy project or to get more information or um, to link with other partnering groups to do some coalition building. You know, all that stuff is great. Or there may be a time when you're at a retreat and all you want, all you need to do is to have uh, the team getting together and just focusing on what are we doing right now? Where are we as a group right now? What is our mission? How are we getting there? And so the, these rubber bands are constantly being stretched and, and, and not stretched uh, all the time. It's a perfectly healthy thing. And um, uh, sometimes what goes on um, is that um, uh, this can be really destructive to find a common ground as well. And the way this became really clear to me, uh, I wrote a blog about this in my prior book, Many of you remember uh, Russell Wilson, uh, who is a uh, used to be the quarterback of the Seattle uh, Seahawks and has now been moved to the quarterback of uh, the, uh, oh, no, I'm drawing a blank. But for the sports fans, you know where I'm going with this. Anyway, he um, was, was, uh, was, was having a tussle uh, with a teammate, Lynch, who was a running back. And, and Lynch was irritated with the way he was being treated. And went be uh, went beyond the clubhouse, and uh, saying, "I'm being treated really poorly, and uh, uh, Russell Wilson's being treated really, really well, and it's not fair." And you know what's going on here, and of course, given what goes on in the media, you know Russell Wilson was was praised for being statesmanlike uh, by staying within his rubber band, and Lynch was viewed as sort of a, a troublemaker. And, and what I argued in the book is uh, that we don't know enough to know what was really going on to make, a, to make an intelligent judgment, that it may be that behind the scenes, uh, uh, Wilson was trying to get the problem resolved, or it may be he was snubbing. We just don't know what was going on. And it's sort of hard for us to make a judgment as outsiders. And of course, we as outsiders are making judgments. And um, that can be unhelpful for everybody. And that's why often negotiations. Actually, if you think about this, right, for those of us who are in a committed relationship or are, are in a relationship with the boss or whatever the situation is, when we're having a, a, an issue, do we try to resolve it behind closed doors initially, or do we try to uh, have a very open uh, and honest conversation with everybody surrounding us? You know, And so everybody is aware of, of our dirty laundry. What's likely to work? Well, the answer is it's more likely to work um, behind closed doors. So when you're trying to resolve a conflict, that's what people mostly recommend. You try to have as few people in the room as possible. So, for example, uh, getting back to sports for a second, um, the baseball uh, uh, strike apparently has been just resolved. And so there's going to be baseball uh, sometime. It's not quite clear when yet. but you always know when negotiations are working because everybody's, everybody's being kept, uh, kept, everybody except for the players and the owners in this case, the folks who are being affected by this are being, um, are in the room and, and everybody else is being, is being left out. The, the, the rubber band is, is, is being contracted so they can, this stuff can get done behind closed doors. And you know that things are in real trouble when, when, uh, Parties are going to the media or going outside saying this, this person is an idiot. This person is this, this, this is unreasonable. 
things only tend to happen negotiation wise when the outsiders are, are kicked out. Uh, and it's true in a, in a, in a marital relationship. It's true when you're trying to negotiate with your boss, it's true in almost every situation, you know, you, the, the negotiation take place behind closed doors. And once you bring other people into the mixture, and sometimes there's a reason to do that. You want to increase your power. You want to increase your, uh, uh, your, your, your legitimacy. There's, there is a place to do that. Um, but negotiations will probably not be successful in the long term that way. Uh, but anyway, that, there's a lot more to be said about that. But this book talks about that as well. Um, so uh, I assume there's still no raised hands. Uh, Correct. Not yet. Okay. All right. Then that's, that's fine. We will, we will continue. Oops. Now we did Meryl. Okay. Meryl. Hi. Uh, hi, Peter. Um, yeah, that, that's what's called because I'm the vice president of the American council of blind of Maryland. And we had to have an executive session for our board on a specific thing that was very serious and it was resolved, but that's what you call it in a board meeting, you call it an executive session and it does get resolved, but you cannot have the third party involved because then it gets too stressful and angry. Right. And sometimes there are also legal, legal considerations, right? There's some things that have to be done behind closed doors, but you're right. One of the reasons you have those sessions is precisely that. That um, mm-hmm. you 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 reduce the number of people involved and makes it less likely it'll be contentious. Um, mm-hmm. The downside, of course, is that people then think that things are being hidden. You know, right. and, and, exactly. and but but there is a reason for that. I I, I strongly agree with you. There is a reason mm-hmm. for for those closed sessions. Yeah, it's a perfect example. And it's also a good reason, right? Uh, you know, if if, a, if you're having a hassle with your spouse, you're not going. You know. If you want, if you truly want to resolve the issue, you're not going to have it in front of the entire neighborhood, right? You're going to have it in your bedroom or, you know, over a glass of wine or whatever it is, you know, with, with just the two of you. That's the way most of these things get resolved. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Thank you, Meryl. You're welcome. Melissa is next. Melissa. Good evening, Mr. Alshul. Hello, Ms. Melissa. Hi there. Um, I have heard you speak um, numerous times, and you're always just a, a wonderful presenter. And I believe I met you when I went to my first national convention in Florida uh, in 2009. I was um, on the. I went to one of the employment workshops. So it's great to to uh, meet you again. Well, thank you. But I'm just curious because all these things you're talking about, I believe in my heart is good for leaders, people that are in management, in a workplace, those kinds of things. Have you ever spoken or given presentations on these kind of things like at leadership conferences or conferences for like managers or supervisors, those kind of things? Because I, I just really believe that this would be really good for people to understand. So to answer your question is yes and and the yes is I have made those presentations and they've usually been pretty well received. Um, the and is I am trying to broaden my speaking engagements. So uh, uh, I, I say this to, you know, so if anybody has any ideas of leads, I'm interested to hear them. Maybe not 
at, at this very moment. But yes, I, I, I have made those presentations. I've also made these presentations in front of like faith communities, you know, uh, sort of talking about these concepts uh, in front of church groups primarily. Um, yeah. And they've been fairly well received as well. Uh, one of the things I was actually talking to a minister about this uh, today and, um, and, and one of the things that, and I, I write about this in the book as well, is we, the faith communities often don't do a very good job in, in promoting these, these kinds of dialogues. Uh, and I think that's mm-hmm. really, un, really unfortunate. And the other thing that the faith communities have, a, have a, um, uh, I, in my opinion, this is an opinion, uh, don't do a very good job. They, they talk about concepts related to forgiveness. They talk about peace and they talk about grace, for example. Right. And yet they do a very poor job of talking what those terms actually mean when the rubber hits the road. And I find that really um, unfortunate because how do you know you're, you're sort of being gracious or forgiving if you don't know what that means? Exactly. Or being at wow. peace. And um, so I talk about that. You can again. preach it, brother. <laughs> yeah, well, I won't go any further down that particular road. No, but, no, no. Uh, uh, but, but, <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I have made these presentations and they are well received. Um, and, and in fact, the book, in fact, comes out of some of these presentations and some of the workshops that I've that have helped run or run. Um, you know, uh, as I write in my introduction, I've done lots of sort of weird things, you know, like train New York City taxi drivers and how to uh, on how to be better customer service people. You know, and when you're dealing with taxi drivers from all over the world um, in sessions they don't want to be at, you, there are certain things you have to do to to um, promote that kind of conversation. And so, you know, so uh, anyway, so thank you for those kind words. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. And is your book available? Um, I have an Audible account. So is it available on Audible or do you know? It, it is not. But but um, uh, I know people would say I should I should read the book, but I haven't. Uh, it, it's, it's a pricey venture to do. And I just don't have the funds to do that right now, which is unfortunate. But it, it is available on Kindle. So, you know, uh, okay. you, you can certainly re- uh, uh, rec- uh, download an audio version of the book. And, and wonderful. And as I said, it's also on Bookshare. If you have Bookshare and Bookshare, you can you can also read as audio as well. Well, thank you very much for this. And God bless you. Well, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. All right. God bless. I hope maybe we'll meet we'll meet another time in Florida or someplace. <laughs> yeah. Um, next. <laughs> so. time, I haven't been to a national convention since that time because because of just job reasons and things like that. But I hope to go back. Yeah, well, because it was a blast. I haven't been to conventions in a while either, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, well, well, God bless you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. No more hands right now. No more hands right now. Okay. Hey, hey so, Peter, uh, this is Carrie. So yeah. um, maybe you can talk briefly about your other two books. Sure. So, um, so my first book is a memoir. It's called Breaking Barriers. And working, working and loving while blind, and it's a memoir of my life, and it's centered around uh, a a year and a half long period of my life, actually more like a two year period of my life, during which I got my fifth guide dog at at Guiding Eyes for the Blind. My stepmother died, my father died, and I got married. So the book sort of focuses on all those things, and. And then it sort of um, goes back to my talks about my, uh, you know, my upbringing and so on and so forth and my work history and so on and so forth. And it also 
begins to flesh out these concepts that I write about in more depth than these other two books. That uh, So the first book is Breaking Barriers. It's available uh, in all those other formats we've mentioned before, and it's also available on Bard. The second book is called Breaking It Down and Connecting the Dots, and it's a, it's a similar set of essays um, than uh, Writing Elephants, but it's, it's, it's older. So the, the uh, uh, Breaking It Down and Connecting the Dots are essays written between essentially 2012 and 2017, and the Creating Common Ground, uh, sorry, Writing Elephants, is between 2016 and 2021. And there's some rewrites of essays and so on and so forth. And um, Breaking It Down and Connecting the Dots is also available on BARD. Um, and as I mentioned before, Creating Elephants, uh, Creating Elephants, Writing Elephants, because <laughs> well, you can create elephants too, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, writing Elephants um, is, is being recorded, but I don't know when it's going to be out. As, as we all know of COVID, um, the library, most many libraries are just behind the curve trying to catch up with, you know, um, with stuff they need to record for, for whatever. So I don't know when that book's going to be done, but apparently it's, it's in queue in Minneapolis. So I'm grateful to uh, Jane for making that happen. So. I, I will ad- admit, I really enjoyed reading your memoir and your, um, you know, just the stories of your different guide dogs. So I have a funny question to ask you. Yes. Related to elephants, a baby elephant weighs about 200 pounds and stands about three feet tall. Mm-hmm. So which one of your guide dogs was closest to that and why? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, the, the dog, resembles a baby elephant. The baby, most. baby elephant. Well, I, I, I mean, that's actually, so I'm going to answer the question in two different ways. The, the, the dog that is most like the elephant in sort of size, my biggest dog I've, I've handled is my current dog, which is a, an 85-pound black male, black lab male named Fredo. And I've had him for about three months, and he's a, he's a handful, but is doing very well. I'm very pleased with him. And, uh, um, but he has his, his ways of being stubborn and, uh, you know, taking as much space as possible and being the, uh, you know, the, the, the alpha macho dog that he is. Um, but he's a fabulous dog and we're, we're doing well. But as far as the uh, elephant as emotion, as feelings, I have to talk about my Weimaraner guide dog who uh, had, all, had her feelings on his sleeve and had very strong opinions on everything, including she, she didn't like rain and she didn't like sleeping on the floor and she howled a lot and uh, grunted and growled and was, had a, a wide range of vocabulary to express her feelings um, and her thoughts, but primarily her feelings. And um, um, she would not pass guide dog muster now, um, but I had her when I was just out of college living in New York City and she was a fabulous dog for me at the time because we did a lot of walking. And she handled the, handled the big city really, really well. But there are certain things you had to accept about her. Like she liked to stalk pigeons in harness. She, <laughs> she, she, she would literally slink to the ground. And, you know, and then at one point she was like trying to climb a building after a pigeon. And, and, and the New York City person said across the street, you get that damn bird. And that's what, what went on in the city. You know, that's just the kind of thing that went on in New York City. And it doesn't happen as much in Columbia, you know, just in Columbia, Missouri, which is where I am now. Um, but um, but so uh, that, that's a long-winded answer to your question. I, I think Heidi is the closest to a elephant as I envision an elephant and it, 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 it's the feelings 
and sort of control it. She had to sort of control her through your behavior so that she, she could focus her feelings into more productive venues rather than complaining about rain and whatever else she wanted to complain about. So Leonor has her hand up and then Linda. Okay, Leonor. Yeah, I've got two comments. First of all, I would like to say that uh, the, the dog day section, that's the, the chapter, it's part seven in the book. It's uh, 35 pages long. And I have to say, I found that so amusing, so entertaining, as well as informative. That's, that was one of my favorite parts of the book, Peter. Um, yeah, the title is Dog Days, and then it has, you know, about a whole bunch of dogs in it. Very, very amusing. And then the other comment was, um, I'm glad that you're having the book uh, recorded, Peter. Um, but I, I just wanted to say that I, I never listen to audiobooks myself. I, I much prefer to, you know, read with my eyes. That's just the way I absorb information better. Uh, but I have listened to little snippets of the newest technology from Amazon for the Kindle books, and they have really upped the quality in the 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 quality of the sound and also how much more natural the delivery sounds. You would really almost swear that it was a real person, you know, reading the book. Uh, so that's just really gained ground. So, I mean, sure, if people have the opportunity or the money, depending on how they're having it done, to have their book professionally recorded, that's great. But I think anybody can be assured that listening to the to the book, to the ebook on Amazon, they're going to get a really decent, um, you know, listening experience. So that's what I thank, have to say about that. <laughs> thank you, Lino. So let me say sure. a word about Dog Days. Uh, thank mm -hmm. you for uh, for bringing that up. So Dog Days is a section of the book. And um, it, it's a mixture of stories about my guide dogs and how they uh, uh, helped in all kinds of ways. One of the ways they helped was when I was running these sessions, um, th they were sort of a calming presence in the room. People would come to me and say, if your dog can handle it, then I can handle it. Because we were discussing some fairly tense issues in those meetings and the dog would, you know, would sleep through most of it. Um, and, and that really was a, was a calming uh, uh, factor for a lot of people, but it, it interspersed with those are sort of satire uh, of, of the uh, uh, poodle party and the Labrador party. And it had, it gave me a chance to make satiric comments about the political scene as, as was going on in, in 2016 through 2020. So you'll find a mixture of, of satire and sort of true stories. And your challenge is to figure out which is true, which isn't, um, which is usually pretty easy to do. But thank you for that. Um, it, it was, those things are in some ways the most fun to write. So, uh, and, and Peter, this is Carrie. I got to say, I have been very honored since you and I have become friends a year and a half ago. Right. Um, and just listening to some of your dog stories I, I can see a cartoonist, you know, one of these characterists with some of these really funny images <laughs> with some of your fun adventures. So <laughs> yeah, climbing, climbing, climbing three feet snowbanks. Yeah. Like, yes, you know, exactly. Like, yeah, in, in New York City with a suitcase <laughs> in one hand and a you know backpack on my back. And we're, you know, and and, and, and so, you know, I'm climbing a snowbank and and uh, Jasper says, what are you doing? And I, and I said, I'm climbing a snowbank. I, you know, what are you supposed to say when you're when a dog is sort of dragging you up across a snowbank? You know, you, you just anyway, uh, I think Linda was Linda next. Yes. Yeah, I just had um, a, 
Com- well, some thought, your thoughts on your thought and feeling panel mm-hmm. that you were talking about. Um, as far as relating, like I could relate that to the fact that I live in Sandy on three acres, uh, legally blind, cannot drive. And my family and friends all think I need to move into town because it would be much more realistic to be closer to transportation, da, da, da. Mm-hmm. And my thought is it probably sounds reasonable, but I really don't want to move. I've been here 50 years. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's something to address with you or if you have thoughts on it or how to handle it because well, I know but you, you, mean you, well. You, but you, said it, you, you said it really well. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Forgive me. Uh, no. finish, finish your thought and I'll, I'll react. Well, I know that there are thoughts are for me, you know, this would be best for me. My friends even think that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a dog. I don't have a guide dog yet because I'm really trying to work on my O&M training and having a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have RP. I've had it, but just recently I've accepted it. And so anyway, from that point, uh, but I was just wondering what you, if you had some input. <laughs> I do actually. Uh, sort of on, on a on a uh, your comment reminds me of a comment that it's really important that I should have said right up front, and that is that feelings, not thoughts, drive action. Think about that. Feelings, not thoughts, drive action. That's all the more important that we connect up with people on the feelings channel, right? So in the example that Linda's giving, it sounds like to me, if I were involved with this, which I'm not, um, the the person who is communicating with Linda, you, Linda, uh, mm-hmm. is, is communicating strictly on the thoughts channel. You would be, all, all you're describing are thoughts. You would be safer. You would be easy. It would be easier for you to get around all that stuff. And that's all true, potentially. Mm-hmm. It's all true. But it sounds like to me, and you have talked about feelings. You, you said, I've been here for a while. I'm comfortable here. You've, you've sort, of, sort, of, sort of suggested feelings. You haven't said any, but you've suggested feelings. I'm comfortable. Uh, you know, moving is a, is a pain. You know, those are all powerful things. And feelings drive action. So if I, if I were your, uh, trying to encourage you to move into town, which I am not, because mm-hmm. I don't know your situation, I would um, try to connect with your feelings in, in a ways that, that you're, uh, I don't have the sense that they've done, you know, people are trying to encourage you to move, have done a very good job of, maybe I'm wrong, but you know, if they said, you know, if they can say, you know, you know uh, if they talked about, said things to you like, um, I know you've been there for 50 years. That's a, that's a long time. There's, there's a lot of history behind that. You know, uh, there, there is a, you, you probably have lots of fond memories of the place. You, 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 you're comfortable there. Uh, it might be, it, it would, it might be a real challenge for you to move. Uh, it, it might be awkward for a while, you know, all those things. Notice I've used quite a few feelings word, awkward, right? Uh, comfortable, uh, anxious. Um, you know, there are all kinds of feelings associated with that. But I have the sense, and I could be totally wrong, that part of the issue is I don't think your elephant's being heard very well. Do you think your elephant? I mean, in other words, I don't. I don't think they're they're connected with your elephant very well. 
Is that a fair assessment? Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've been here forever. Uh, I, I don't want to move. I don't know how to move. I don't even know how to get started to get rid of my stuff to do it. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and, and, and that's all. Yeah. There's just this whole lot of anxiety and stuff and, and around moving. I mean, I moved um, from uh, across town during the, during the fall uh, and um, you know, the feelings involved with that were fairly intense, you know, moving from place A to place B, there are other things going on in my life at the same time, which I won't go into, but just that, that having to move so quickly was just a, just a real stressor. And, you know, and the way I, part of the way I got through it was people saying, yeah, I know this is a pain. We will make this work. You know, we have your support, you know, we're supporting you. We know this is hard. You know, all those kinds of things were really helpful in reminding me that I had a support system and who who got the fact that this was a stressful thing for me. And um, I have the sense that sometimes we want people to change and we don't, we're not there to, to support that change on, a, on an elephant level. If it, if it, and if you don't do that, you're going to fail. You might fail anyway, but, but <laughs> if you, but, but if you, but if you don't deal with it, because, you know, remember feelings, feelings, not thoughts drive action. If we don't remember that, and, this, and I'm not talking to you, Linda, per se, I'm talking about the folks. I, I'm actually talking to folks who are trying to persuade you to move more, th- more than you. Um, but I hope the people we we all remember this uh, that you know if we don't talk on the, if we don't connect on that feelings level we're not going to be successful we just aren't okay it's true with talking to kids it's true with talking with you know your boss it's true with uh, you know just all kinds of, you know with legislators uh, you know it's it's just it's just a true thing and I, I you know I wish you well whatever you decide to do I don't know I don't know what the best answer for you is but what I know what I do know is. You know, moving is a pain in the neck. You know, it's 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 <laughs> stressful. You know, it. There are lots of memories that you're that you know that you're you're afraid you're going to lose. You know, there's just all kinds of things associated with that. And unless those things are taken seriously, it you're, you know the people who are trying to persuade you to move are, are just not going to be successful. You know, okay. They, well, they may they may they may yet be unsuccessful. But you, you get you get what I'm trying to say. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> So, so Peter, we only have a couple more minutes because I have a few closing remarks I need to make. Okay. So, you have any last minute advice, or what are you currently working on? Anything like that you can share? Yeah. So, uh, my my current my my advice uh, to people is to, to just to say that creating that common ground is a creation. It's not finding; it's creating it. And there's a lot to say about that, and that it's not easy. And it can be really, really frustrating. And uh, sometimes it, it, you, you can feel like a failure. Um, but, but there's enough reward in it that, you can, that when it's successful, it's incredibly exciting. It's incredibly energizing. But, but you're not always going to be successful. And that, that, that's, that applies whether you're uh, having a conversation to try to you know change to change people's minds, it's it's always going to be stressful, uh, but it can be an awful lot of fun. And um, I hope I hope you 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 sort of think about that as you sort of move through this. And of course, buy my books. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm available um, if you if you want to get hold of me through my creating common ground at outlook.com email address. And uh, Carrie, I think I've said what I need to say. Unless you've. Need me to say something more? Uh, no, that that's great. Okay. One, 
I have one quick question. Are your books at the library by chance? The first two are, you mean barred, right? Live, well, like a regular library. No, they are not. Okay. They are not. Uh, they, uh, that's, unless you're in Columbia, Missouri. If you're in yes. Columbia, Missouri, they are. Otherwise, they are not. <laughs> okay. So thank you. So, great. Th- thank you, Peter. It's been a joy. And you can, you can be our quote at the end there, you know, if you remember. So anyway, <laughs> at, this, <laughs> at this time, we would like to um, thank our contributors and members of the whole Foundation and Learning Center. Without their financial support, our workshops would not be possible. Next week, we have several Zoom sessions. Not all are on ACB calls and some are. So in just a minute, I'll give you contact information so you can reach out. So we have a chat on cabin fever. Uh, we have the chat cafe. Teresa and I will be back Tuesday evening with the chat cafe. That is an ACB call. There is a Q&A for iPhones, Androids, and tablets Q&A. There's also, um, Hale is going to, she's been doing several book sessions. She's going to do a, a session next Wednesday on who is your favorite narrator and why. And on Thursday, Teresa's going to do St. Patrick's Day. Oh. <laughs> Histories, drinks, and trivia, right, Teresa? Right. It'll be That'll fun. That'll be fun. <clears throat> and we have a couple upcoming. All year long, Whole Foundation has events, and they, they're able to do some things back in person, and they do offer transportation to and from the airport and the uh, train and Bus stations, they also do have some scholarships available to help. They always try to keep the cost low. So they have a spring flink, April 5th to 8th. And that's just a fun get together. And then they have a living with sight loss, the end of April. And that is actually a great place to go gain skills um, with your sight loss. And they'll actually have a certified O&M orientation mobility instructor there. And they, you know, do a little bit of everything. And as I said, there's other ones. So to get a hold of Full Foundation and Learning Center, you can call 503-668-6195. Again, 503-668-6195. You could send an email to oralhole at gmail.com. That's O-R-A-L-H-U-L-L at gmail.com. Or you can find us on the web at www.wholeparkfortheblind.org. And that's H-U-L-L park, F-O-R, the blind.org. So a joke. What was the elephant doing on the freeway? Any clues? Any ideas there, Peter? He was doing about five miles per hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Okay, one. I have a I have a, a point to ponder, but we're gonna let Peter do his. This one is just t- how do you eat an elephant? Take one bite at a time. That's classic. Yes. So Peter, you have your saying you were just telling us. Yes, and that is feelings, not thoughts, drive action. And and, and is that a Peter? A Peter. A, a Peter. <laughs> <laughs> no, it actually is not. It comes. It comes from a, a my one of my mentors, Dr. Kenneth Soul, who was a, a pioneer in the diversity work, uh, a brilliant social psychologist, a true genius. 
I bet, and, and that's a, one of his sayings, and it really is true. I've learned okay. over the years. And that, again, is, go ahead. Feelings, comma, not thoughts, comma, drive action, exclamation point. <laughs> Thanks so much, Peter. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. Have a great evening.